This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Welcome to South Fellowship Church. We're so glad that you're here, that you've joined us today as we uh, celebrate the goodness of the gospel, the life that's in Jesus, uh, the way that he gives us life um, through mothers. And, and essentially, we celebrate moms today because of the way that they help bring about life and the way that they help bring out life. And that's the way that moms operate best, isn't it? When they see things in their kids and they just sort of draw it out of them. Um, I, I am remembering fondly this morning my mom who did that tirelessly for 33 years. Um, and in many ways, I stand on her shoulders today. And so I'm humbled and I'm grateful. I'm also thankful for my wife and Kelly, our mother of our kids, and uh, your power and your strength and your love is humbling. And I just saved four ninety nine on a card. So I love you. No, no. Just kidding, just kidding. Hey, let's pray and we're gonna jump into God's word together. King Jesus, we love you. And we ask, author of life, that you would continue to write your story in and through us. Uh, Holy Spirit, we're open to you. Would you move us, would you stir us, make us more like Jesus because of our time together. It's in his powerful name that we pray, amen. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, Kelly and I, we rented um, a movie that came out in the box office a little while back um, and just came to video. It was nominated, nominated for a few Academy Awards. Uh, the name of the movie is Nebraska. I don't know if you've seen this. It's the, the story of a road trip that a father and a son take. At the beginning of the movie, the main character, one of them, his name is Woody. He's, a, he's an older gentleman who is coming towards the end of his life. His family's debating whether or not they should put him in a, uh, an assisted living facility. He's a little bit depressed, and in the mail, he gets a letter from the publisher clearinghouse sweepstakes that says he's won a million dollars. You may have received a similar letter well, Woody sort of latches onto this idea and he finds out where their headquarters is. It's in Nebraska. And although he lives in Montana, he decides that he's going to make that trek. He's going to drive down to the office and he's going to claim his prize. So he starts off walking from Montana to Nebraska. If you've seen the movie, it's a comedy of sorts, and the police pick him up, and they take him back to his home and write him off as a senile old man. He makes a few more attempts to get to Nebraska that fail, and finally he goes to his son. His son, who's in this similar spot in life, not age-wise, but purpose-wise, and he asks his son, would you, will you drive me to Nebraska? And his son sort of flippantly, flippantly says, sure. And on the road there, he asks his dad, Dad, what are you going to do with the winnings, quote unquote? And his father responds, I'm going to buy a new truck, even though he's unable to drive. And I'm going to buy a compression tank, 
just like the one I loaned somebody 40 years ago. And as they go and as they journey, what you start to see that in many ways this has very little to do with money. It typically does. (laughs) Very little to do with money and everything to do with purpose. And has everything to do with meaning. And in some ways, this journey is this father's way of trying to infuse into his sort of coming to an end life, meaning and purpose that he walked away from a long time ago. It's his journey back through a series of broken relationships and hurting people that have been left in his wake. See, Woody's quest is really a last farewell gesture designated to give his life meaning. He's coming to the end, and he has this pile of regrets that he longs to undo. And I think this movie sort of poignantly invites us into this reality that every single one of us long to live a life that's full of meaning And purpose. And when we don't, we'll scramble for any little thing to make life matter. Uh, Thomas Merton, the Christian mystic, he says it like this People may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find that once they reach the top, the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. (laughs) And when we're born, when you're born, there's a, there's a book that started. There's a book that started, the story of your life. It's the way that God intended it. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. We should celebrate it. But the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning is, who's writing that book? Because essentially, when you're born, somebody starts writing that book. And if we're not intentional, I was going to say careful, but if we're not intentional, something sort of subtly happens over the course of our life. The person who's intended to hold the pen and write the story, we, we take that pen from them. And we start to write our own story. And so two things happen when we do that. One, either the story becomes all about us and what we can do, and how we can make it work. Or, or, the other thing that hijacks that pen and takes it out of our hand, even though we think we still have it, is pain and regret and failure. And that starts to write our story. And so for some of you, that's the story that's being written about your life now, is that that there's this, this wake of hurt and sorrow and pain, and it's defined you. This morning, I want to introduce you to my favorite name of Jesus given in Scripture. Peter, who we're going to look at this morning in the sermon that he gives, the second wonderful sermon in the book of Acts, he refers to Jesus as the author of life. As if to suggest that not only is Jesus the one who brings about life and sustains life, but, but he's the one who when he holds the pen, he writes the best stories. 
Would you open with me to the book of Acts if you have a Bible? Acts chapter 3, we're going to jump in in verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, all the scriptures we're going to use this morning are on the screens to my sides. If you were here last week, you'll remember that we talked about the way that Peter and John walking to the temple encounter a man who's begging at this gate that's called beautiful. This quote unquote beautiful gate that keeps him out of the temple and out of the presence of God as if to draw a line and say you can't go past here. Well, Peter and John, although they have no money, they say they claim they have something better, and they invite this man, this this beggar, to stand up and to walk. And the first thing this man does is he walks into the temple, leaping, jumping, and praising God. And that's where we pick up the story. Verse 11, it says, while he clung to Peter and John, this is the, the man who, whom Jesus had healed through them. Remember, it's Peter's hand, but it's Jesus' power. Utterly astounded, all the people utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portio called Solomon's. This is Solomon's porch. It ran along the east side of the temple. It was where a lot of the early followers of Jesus to gather. So when we read about them sitting under the apostles' teaching, most likely it was in this court. It says, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. So here's what you're going to see Peter do. You're going to see Peter turn down the chance to become famous. You're going to see Peter deflect ruthlessly the glory that people want to give him and say, no, 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 no. This isn't about me. I'm not writing the story. There's somebody bigger. There's somebody better. He's writing the story. I want to point you to him. Verse 13. And he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. So he starts to, for this Jewish audience, what he does is he sinks anchor into their history. And he starts to build on the beautiful history that the Israelite people have. And he says, this whole story that God's been weaving throughout history is leading up to this moment. This moment, his name is Jesus. He goes on. He says, our fathers, God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. See, every good preacher intentionally directs the praise. It's it's about him. It's about his name. It's about his glory. It's about his honor. It's about his praise. And so that's what Peter does. He says, whom you delivered over... And denied in the presence of Pilate when he came and decided to release him. So, so there, he's hearkening back to a few weeks earlier when they had this choice. Who are you going to let go? A criminal or Jesus? Because Pilate wants to get off the hook, right? And the crowd yells out, we want the criminal. Release Barabbas. Let him go. And his point is simple, but it's significant. You're on the hook. I mean, they always teach you in seminary, you should have a hook early on in your sermon, and his hook is, you killed the author of life. Listen, listen to what he says. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. They're looking at each other in the crowd going, we did that, and he's like, yes, you. And you killed the author of life. Ouch! Ouch! 
Now that hurts. If you're in the crowd, if you're a Jewish person, if you also stood in the crowd that said, release a criminal to us, you're going, "Uh uh-oh, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And what plays out in front of our mind, or in front of our eyes in this scene is what plays out in front of most of our hearts throughout the course of our life at one time or another. And it's this, we have this decision to make. Are we going to give over the pen to the author of life or are we going to take it back for ourselves? This word author that Peter uses is brilliant. It means originator, sustainer, or pioneer. As if this Jesus is charting a new course. And intentionally, he points them back to the beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where it says that the Lord God formed man and woman out of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living creature. And his point is, this Jesus who breathed life still does so. This author longs to continue to write on the canvas of lives everywhere today. But we do something as human beings. We, we, we long to take that pen back and we say, listen, I don't necessarily know, God, if I like the way that you're writing this chapter or I think I got a few chapters in me. Like, let's talk. Maybe we can negotiate. And, and I know you're God, but I've got some good ideas too. And so let me see that pen and I'm going to write this season of the story of my life. And here's what Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever walk the face of the earth, says. He says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. It's the very place that the people in this audience of this sermon find themselves. We thought there was a way that was right. But ironically, we killed the author of life. See, what what Peter says next, you you can't miss that because uh, if you do, what you'll start to think is, well, if if the pen is in my hand and I'm writing and my pain's writing and my hurt's writing and my failure's writing or my pride's writing, then, then, then I've missed the boat. But what he says is, you killed the author of life, but Jesus raised, or, but God raised him from the dead. As if to say, if you're not dead, your story's not done. That's good. So some of you this morning, maybe, just maybe, the author of life longs to say, hey, will you give me, will you give me back the pen? I got a, got a few chapters left I'd like to write. I've got a few more things that I want to do through your life so that you don't find yourself at the end chasing a million dollars, hoping you can undo everything that you've spent a lifetime doing. And this life is still available in him. So listen to the way that Peter goes on. Remember, he's preaching to people who are in a church-type setting. These are people of faith, but they're people without Jesus. He may be in the same boat this morning. It says, in his name, by faith in his name, this is Jesus, he has made this man whom you see and know, he's made him strong. And the faith that through Jesus has given this man, has given the man this perfect health, in the presence of all of you. So he goes, hey, case in point, I mean, illustration. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to have that as an illustration for your sermon? I would. Hey, here's the guy. You saw him. 
You walked by him every day. You probably gave money to him and he was sitting on a mat and now he's leaping, jumping, praising God. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that this Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Here's what Peter does. He creates this wonderful, beautiful, wide on-ramp into the story that God is telling, that his kingdom is now and his presence is here. And he says to the crowd, this guy, this man, you saw him sitting there, feet crippled, is now walking. That's what God is doing in the world. And if you want in, welcome to the story. Well, the question becomes, that's great news, Ryan. Well, how? How? You're smart. I'm glad you asked that question. Here's what Peter says. Repent, therefore. So, there's some moms here, and you played all your chips to get your kids to come to church with you today. And you're going, Paulson, seriously? The Mother's Day message is repent? I mean, you got that whole book up there? And that's the best thing you come up with? Repent? Oh, oh, see, here's the thing, here's the thing. We've absolutely missed the boat on the beauty of this word. See, because we hear the word repent and it's this total downer. And we go, repent. Oh, gosh. Here goes. A new preacher guy was going to tell me that. No, 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 no. See, repent. We've always associated it with, well, I've got to start trying a little bit harder. And then I've got to admit all the things that I'm doing that are wrong. And I've got to really start to work on them. And repentance is essentially this doorway through which we enter into a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and tirelessly working and going nowhere as though repentance is this invitation to run on a treadmill for the rest of our life and expend a ton of work and get nowhere. See, here's the thing about repentance. Biblically, the word uh, metanoia literally means to change our mind. (laughs) It's less about behavior. It's more about belief. It's an invitation from God to you. Repent, therefore, and turn back as if even though you killed Jesus, the welcome mat of God is out. (laughs) When you hear repent, it's an invitation of God. You're welcome. You're welcome here. Change the way that you're thinking. Change the way that you're um, processing things. Change your focus. Change your meaning. Get the right things in view. You see, we need to repent often, not just one time, but often because we as people start to believe subtle lies that derail our life. One of them is I think I got a few chapters in me and I can do this a little better. God, I know that you have showered your wisdom down, but I simply don't believe you're good or powerful or able. So come on, let's go. It's simply a turning of mind, but it's threatening, isn't it? 
repent, change your mind, because in order to do so, we need to admit there's some things that we've been believing, that we've been acting on, that are wrong. They just aren't where life is. And so our autonomy and our independence when we repent is crushed. But you need to know that repentance isn't just a matter of turning from something. It's a matter of turning to someone. Repentance is not, not, I'm going to try really hard not to. Repentance is the welcome mat at the door of the throne of God is open to you. Regardless of the road that you've walked. Regardless of the things that you've done. Regardless of who you've become. He says, my welcome is a simple turn. Right here. Right here. And he longs. I think one of the favorite images of our father is the way that he welcomes the prodigal home and the way that he beckons the older brother come in to the party. Both needed to repent. And both were invited to the banquet table. See, see here's, the, here's the deal this morning. What, what I want to circle our hearts and our minds around is that repentance leads you, it leads me, back to the author of life and invites him, will you write our story? Will you write my story? God, will you do your work? That's what repentance is. It's a turning that require, that was required of us, but it's a welcome home. Martin Luther, in his first of his 95 theses that he stapled to the Wittenberg door and inadvertently began the Protestant Reformation, his first thesis was this, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be one of repentance. So, You may have thought repentance was something you did in order to be welcomed into the kingdom, into the family of God the first time. It's not that. It's that plus. It's what we do to walk back to our Father who says, I love you when we wander away. And in our mind, start to write our own stories. It's hard because of our view of ourself. Here's two reasons. Our view of ourself. One, we think too lightly of our brokenness, and we overestimate our godliness, okay? So that makes repentance hard. It also, repentance is hard because of the way that we view God. We underestimate the, the, the profundity of his holiness, but we also, in the same hand, underestimate the reach of his grace. So you stir that together, in the heart of humanity. And what you have is a desire to say, no, I'm gonna write this story. And he says, oh, if you just let go, if you just let go and if you just turn, if you just walk home, what you'd find is this welcome mat that's open. So, so Peter starts to tell this crowd that's gathered why repentance is so important and what repentance brings. And so I'd love to invite you into that. If you have a ESV translation of the Bible that I'm using here, um, it's gonna be, our three points are gonna be signaled by the word that. It's his way, it's Peter's way of saying, and repentance is important because of this, this, and this. 
So he says, repent, therefore. Change your mind, change your focus. Allow that to change your heart and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. (laughs) So sin in this sense means the things that separate us from God. Blotted out in the Greek, it literally means, it's this beautiful, wonderful word that means to wash off, to erase, or to obliterate. So I have this picture of my daughter building a little stack of blocks and my five-year-old son coming and wiping it out. Obliterate. I love that. This is our God. This is our God. Repent. Change your mind. Change your belief in a way that it leads to changing your action, but you don't focus on that. Change your mind. Change your belief and walk into the reality that Jesus paid it all. That he paid it all. So so he beckons back to this picture that a lot of um, people in this day would have had. It was a picture of the way that that they wrote, and they would write on this papyrus um, type of paper and the pens that they have that didn't have acid in the ink. And so when they'd write on this papyrus, it would sort of be like a, um, a whiteboard where you could get a sponge wet. And you could come up to this papyrus and you could wipe off everything that was written, never to be seen again. And he says, that's, that's the invitation of God. That's the invitation of God. So if there's anything that stands between you and God, he says, sin has been obliterated. If there's anything that stands between you and God, it's you. Or it's in your mind. May I suggest that you repent of it. A beautiful word. Wonderfully powerful. Because he says, I've taken care of it all. I've done it all. In me, there's freedom, there's goodness, there's grace, there's wholeness. But if we're holding on to guilt and shame, it's a lie in our head we're believing on and we're acting on that's leading us down the path of death, not the path of life. Can I invite you just to hand over the pen? He says, I've taken care of it all. Signed, sealed, delivered. Jesus died. He raised from the dead. Sin has been obliterated. Done. So, as we enter into this word, repentance, Jesus writing the story of our life, he starts with, Peter starts with, you have a redeemed past. You have a redeemed past. I love this verse. I love this. That, that Jesus, when he comes on the scene, uh, Mark records this in his gospel. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, um, quite literally announcing what God had done through Jesus. Good news. And saying, the time, of, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is when? At hand. At hand. Okay, Good. You're with me? Repent and behave differently. No. Repent. Change your mind. Believe what God has done for you in Jesus. 
In a lot of ways, we like to play the shame game where we start to take back some of the power. So we put ourselves in this proverbial penalty box and we say, God, I'm going to do penance and God, I'm going to work really hard and God, I'm going to get myself out. And I think what Jesus invites us to do this morning is repent and believe sin has been everything that separated you from God has been obliterated. And you're invited back into union with God. It's where the scriptures begin, it's where the scriptures end, and it's the invitation for everywhere in between. He's taken away every single block that stood between you and him. So, Peter goes on. Peter goes on. So this is the second that. The first that was that our sin may be obliterated, that it may be blotted out, taken away. Second, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So you're going, Paul, come on, repentance on Mother's Day, how's that relevant? Why is that meaningful? What does that mean for our lives today? That's a great question to ask about any sermon you ever hear. Here's why repentance is so significant. Because at stake is whether or not you will walk into the available presence of the Lord right now. Right now. And see, we can try to hold on to writing our own story and doing our own thing. Or we can change the way that we think and walk into the reality that he's welcoming us right this very moment. So repentance doesn't just redeem our past, but it also renews our presence. Our present, sorry present. This word renew is a beautiful word. It means, it means rest. It means relief. It means respite. Literally in the Greek, it sort of paints this picture the word does of somebody coming up to um, a very hot object and just cooling it down. It's the word picture of somebody who's playing football, who gets the wind knocked out of them down on the ground, wondering if they're ever going to breathe again. See, this refreshing, the repentance that comes, or the refreshing that comes through repentance is that, oh, I can breathe again. But repentance has terrible PR. I mean, it's just, just horrible. Just horrible. Okay, there's one, here's one sign. Repent of your wicked heart and believe. Repent or else. Uh, okay, so, so. Can we agree that maybe some of the beauty that's in the original word has been lost and maybe we need to own some of that? But let's not let Westboro Baptist Church have the corner on repentance, okay? Because this is an invitation to, from God to be with him, repent and then behave. <laughs> Why? Well, because hell awaits you. It's devastating. It's devastating that this is the picture that people have of our God. This should break our hearts. 
that should break our hearts. And you're going to read that list, and you may see some of the things that you would identify yourself as up on that list. This is not the biblical picture of repentance. The biblical picture of repentance is a welcome mat that's laid out. Repentance is an invitation back to where life is found in all of its fullness, in all of its meaning, in all of its glory, because the author of life through repentance starts to write your story again. So Peter says, repent that times of refreshing may come. Nobody sees that and goes, oh, isn't that refreshing? So people outside of the church, if they hear the word repentance, they're not going, I want me some of that. I mean, their tenure, in their heart, they're going, come on, get, get out of here. And what have we done when we've debased one of the more beautiful words in the New Testament? Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, regardless of the way that you tried to take the pen and write your own story, you are a change of mind away from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords showering his presence down on you. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. Repentance isn't a drag, it's a gift. Because in it, repentance provides us with this foundation of profound joy, abundant peace, and ample security that nothing else in the world could ever give. But it's harder. It's harder than what we think. It's harder because in some ways, repentance that's defined simply as, I apologize for my sins, Lord, is a lot easier than changing our mind because in order to change our mind, we need to think. Not just about our behavior, but what's behind our behavior. We need to identify what are the lies that we're believing. So this was a, a difficult week for our church body, as Pastor Dan mentioned. And I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We've, we lost two people who we dearly loved this week. We had another who started walking down a road that we just hate. And so in my mind, I'm driving home one day and I'm going, Lord, I've got to, somehow I've got to carry all this. And I've got to fix all this. And I got a list of phone calls to make that I don't want to make. And I got a list of people that I need to meet with that and I don't have the power to meet with them. And I heard this beautiful invitation from the King of Kings. Repent. Repent. Because I'm the one that's going to carry that burden, Ryan. Because I'm the one that's going to bring healing. Because I'm the one who's going to bring hope. You need to get off your white horse, Ryan, and repent. Because what you're thinking is jacked up, and it's not true. If you want to walk in the glory and the joy that I've paved, repent and come home. A.W. Tozer I think states beautifully when he says the poor quality of Christians today grows out of our churches, that grows out of our churches may be accounted for by an absence of real repentance. Will you look up at me for just a moment? One of the most most beautiful, breathtaking realities is that at every moment of every day, the presence of God is available to you. 
sometimes it requires us to turn the way we're thinking in order to step into the reality that's at hand. Peter ends. So I will too. He says, repent that your past may be redeemed. Repent that your present may be renewed. And finally, he says that he, God, may send the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, appointed one for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring. So he says, and and that Jesus who ascended to heaven is in heaven, um, but he's going to come back. But when he comes back, he's going to do something. He's going to restore all the things which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophet long ago. And so here's the last thing that repentance does for us. It not only redeems our past, it not only renews our present, but finally it restores our future, or better said, it allows us to walk into the reality that God is working for the restoration, not of some things, this passage says, but of everything. Of all things. And so when I woke up this morning, I felt like I got run over by a dump truck of emotion, just to be honest with you. And I thought I was ready for it, so I was standing in the middle of the street going, bring it on. Bring on Mother's Day, year one after my mom passes away. And I'm standing in the middle of the street going, I'm okay and I can handle this. And I woke up and I got run over. Because I started to think, God, where are you in that? God, why did that happen? God, how in the world are we supposed to celebrate today? Come on, Hallmark, why'd you do this to us? So I'm, I'm thinking all these things, right? Then I hear this invitation from God. Repent. Change your mind. And remember that I'm at work even in that. And I'm gonna take that. And as much as it hurts, I'm going to weave that for my name and for my glory and for my fame. And I'm restoring, not some, all things. And so, Ryan, you're going to see your mom again. Man, we forget that, don't we? We think he's restoring some things or, or, or he's sort of partially restoring or working at the restoration of some things. But, God, you really can't be restoring all things. Well, you know what? Sometimes when the scriptures say all, it means all. So Revelation, John records for us, and he says, and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And so here's where this exploded in my heart. It does not say Behold, I'm making all new things. No, no, no. It says, behold, I'm making all things new. Maybe you forgot that this morning. Maybe you forgot that your sin has been obliterated. Maybe you forgot that the welcome man of God is out and you are welcome home. And maybe you didn't know before today that it was simply a turning of mind that allows you to give the author of life back the pen to write the story of your life. And when he writes that story, it's abundant joy, ample security. 
his peace, his goodness, and his love. Even when he writes painful parts. See, I used to think that repentance was something we needed to do in order to become followers of Jesus, and it is, but it's also something we need to do to continue following Jesus. It's something we're invited to do because of God's goodness and his grace and his mercy on a daily basis. It's him saying, welcome home. I'm your father. You're my children. I'm for you. I love you. Quit trying to write your own story because I am the author of life. It's not a one-time decision. It's ongoing mind maintenance where we remind ourselves of the truth in a way that we eventually start to walk in it. It's the gateway to life. And I invite you this morning for the joy of the gospel that awaits you. Repent. It's open to you. Yes, even you. Believe the good news. You are his children redeemed only by his grace and his mercy. It may be the best invitation you get all day. Repent. Oh man, I hope we go. When we hear somebody say repent now, my hope is something in us stirs up and we go, yes, yes, yes I will. Awesome. Would you rise with me as we close our time together this morning in prayer? Spirit, I'm going to ask you right now, would you search our hearts, our souls, our minds? May the beauty of repentance and the welcome mat that is wide open for us, the throne room of God, would it capture us once again? Please, please. Lord, I pray that even right now you'd woo us, Lord, Are there things we need to repent of to change our mind about the way that we're thinking about them? Are there lies that we have sunk anchor into and we're believing? Maybe one of those lies is we need to work ourselves out of the penalty box you have us in. Jesus, would you remind us today you've obliterated, you've washed clean, you've wiped out sin by your work on the cross on our behalf. Through repentance, I pray that some this morning, maybe for the very first time, would step into that, would step into that. Lord, for those who feel as though you're distant, may repentance welcome us home to the glory and the goodness of your grace and your mercy towards us. And Jesus, for those who wish today looked different than it looks, through repentance, would you remind us that you are restoring all things. We long for that day. Lord, may in our hearts and our minds there be a continual running home to you, the giver and the author of life. We love you, King Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.